Hello, everyone, and welcome to This Week in Hearing. These days, whenever Johns Hopkins is mentioned, people immediately think of the ACHIEVE study and its recent update. But the Cochlear Center for Hearing and Public Health, led by Dr. Frank Lynn, has been conducting other interesting research on comorbidities with hearing loss. One of these, exploring the relationship between hearing loss and fatigue, especially caught my eye since it fit with my own experience when I first wrote about it five years ago and many times since. But there's much more which we will also explore today with my two guests from the Cochlear Center, Professor Nick Reed and Kenning Zhang. Nick, although many people already know who you are, uh, please tell everyone a bit about yourself and what you do at the Cochlear Center. Yeah, thanks for having us. Um, as you said, I'm Nick Reed. Uh, I'm an assistant professor in the Department of Epidemiology at the Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health. Uh, I'm a clinical audiologist by background and training, but um, my research mostly lies at the intersection of um, epidemiology and gerontology uh, related to hearing loss. Thank you. And uh, Kenning, please tell us about yourself. Thank you. My name is Kenning Jiang. I'm currently a third year PhD student in epidemiology of aging at Johns Hopkins and also a training at the Cochlear Center. My advisors are Dr. Jennifer Deal and Dr. Nicholas Reed. My research interests are in cognitive impairment and dementia, among other adults, especially in how modifiable risk factors, including hearing loss, might be targeted for dementia prevention. Okay, thank you both. It's great to have you today. Kenning, I'd like to open with the recent study on hearing loss and fatigue, for which you are the lead author. You and your co-authors concluded in part that, and I'm quoting here, participants with hearing loss were more likely to report fatigue for more than half the days and nearly every day compared with not having fatigue. Can you elaborate on those findings? Yeah, sure. In this study, we used data from the National Health and the Nutrition Examination Survey, or NHANES, in this nationally representative sample of over 3,000 participants as their middle age or older. We found cross-sectional association between audiometric hearing loss and the higher frequency of self-reported fatigue. And did you control for other factors related to fatigue as well as hearing loss, even societal factors, other lifestyle factors, other comorbidities? Uh, we control for a few like demographic factors and also clinical factors, for example, like cardiovascular diseases. But I think the data is also limited there might be more like social factors that need to be controlled. Okay, okay. And so then uh, really relying on the NHANES data, then you're able to control for a lot of different factors. Yeah. Now, did you also study not only hearing losses related to fatigue, but what effect treating hearing loss has on fatigue? In other words, if I have my hearing loss treated and hearing aids are prescribed and I wear them, what effect does that have on my fatigue level? I think, unfortunately, in this data set, we found that the number of participants with hearing aids are, are too small for studying the effect of hearing aids, but this certainly is a really interesting topic to explore in future studies. Okay, okay. So it's really a primary study on the relationship between fatigue and hearing loss. Uh, can you unpack your findings in a little more detail, exactly age groups, what level of hearing loss, and how strong was the correlation with fatigue? 
Yeah, so this study was done among middle aged and older adults, so participants aged 40 years and older. And、uh, we found that participants with hearing loss are more than two times more likely to report higher frequency of fatigue. Okay, interesting, interesting. And, and that kind of begs a question then, since you didn't see those results in younger people, is overall aging and cognitive state, cognitive health, That comes with aging also a factor.、And、I think in unhaze in the two cycles we used, there were not cognitive measures, so we were not able to consider the cognitive status of the participants. But we did have a relatively wider range of the age from middle-aged adults to older adults. We did a an exploratory analysis and found that the association. Was actually slightly stronger among younger participants, but this is also complicated, and we cannot draw a conclusion because the prevalence of hearing loss is also、uh, lower among younger participants, since the estimates are like statistically unstable. In that sense, so my takeaway here is that this is like early primary research. Uh, on the relationship between hearing loss and fatigue level, it sounds like there's a lot of avenues for further research.、Uh, do you have any plans for additional research, and what questions you want to explore? If you are, and I'll ask that of either one of you. I think that's a great question.、Um, you know, when, when we started、uh, thinking about this study,、um, and in this podcast, we'll talk a lot about I think Kenning's work. I mean, she's a superstar, and she's doing some really interesting stuff in this area. But specific to this question, we started looking through the research, and there's, you know, this isn't a new concept. There's a lot of laboratory-based studies focusing on the idea of auditory sort of, where either they'll call it auditory fatigue, auditory working memory. It depends what kind of lab it's in, but it's all about this concept of some sort of cognitive load based off of of hearing loss.、Um, but we hadn't seen it on a population level, and you know, you you ask this point, Andy. You, you made the point that it could be related to cognition, and it could be a key variable there. We can't do that mediation analysis, unfortunately, with the data we're limited by. But our future studies, we've added hearing to a few major studies in the country that are longitudinal, and they even do a good,、uh, a decent job of thinking about whether the fatigue is physical fatigue or cognitive fatigue, and you know the, the sort of Difference there of what that could mean, right? Is it is it this overall exhaustion? Is it is it physical function like lack of physical activity some to some extent, or is it really this processing idea? And so our future work, I think, wants to go down that、uh, pathway, and then, you know, you hit the nail on the head to start thinking about fatigue as sort of a mediator and a, a you know a strong、um, uh, sign of potential for cognitive decline related to hearing loss. Or other changes in lifestyle, to be honest with you, like social isolation and、uh, decreased physical activity. Well, and I love the different lines of research you're taking because they all seem to fit in a pattern: cognitive ability, fatigue level, hearing loss,、uh, social isolation, depression. They all fit in some way. But exactly how and what are the causative elements? Are really, something I'm looking. Forward to seeing your group explore more detail as we go, and interestingly, in some of the studies that、uh, Kenning has led, 
sleep also factors into it. And so I know you've done several studies on the relationship between sleep quality and hearing loss, including even a potential uh, uh, link with cognitive aging as well. And so you're kind of triangulating with the ACHIEVE study a little bit if you're looking at the relationship of sleep and hearing loss and cognitive ability or co cognitive decline. Uh, so what kinds of research have you actually done? Describe for the audience what you've done and what the key results are. Yeah, I have uh, several studies investigating sleep disturbances as risk factors for hearing loss. Uh, previously, I found there were previous studies showing some initial evidence in clinical samples, especially people with sleep disorder breathing might have hearing loss. So I decided to start that with an enhanced analysis. Our study found that people with longer sleep duration were more likely to have high frequency audiometric hearing loss. Then I was decided to move to another data set to see to establish the temporal relationship between sleep disturbances and hearing loss after 20 years. And we found that uh, there are different sleep characteristics that are associated with hearing function, for example, longer sleep duration and sleep disorder breathing and daytime sleepness are risk factors for hearing loss. But I think the evidence regarding potential mechanisms are still unclear. Well, one of the things that really surprised me in reading the studies was that you mentioned long sleep, and it was spelled out more specifically as uh, sleeping more than eight hours was associated with increased uh, risk of hearing loss. Now, is that because longer than eight hours sleep is associated with poor sleep, or is it about the timing of sleep, the time period of sleep, even if you're sleeping well? And I guess the, the, the related question is, uh, what about a person who sleeps poorly for less than eight hours? Yeah, I think generally for studies linking sleep duration and uh, adverse health outcomes, you kind of see like a shaped relationship that people with short sleep duration and the long sleep duration both have elevated risk of some kind of health outcomes when compared to those with, for example, seven to eight hours of sleep. Uh, in our study linking sleep disturbance with hearing loss, we kind of see the relationship, but only long sleep duration groups show significant association. This probably due to there maybe underlying medical conditions that leading people to sleep longer and also is kind of linked to hearing loss, but it's like unclear. Okay. And of course I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you to, you know, set your scientist had aside a little bit and speculate because I suppose it would also drive the direction of future studies. And that is, what do you suspect is the direction of the link between sleep quality and hearing loss? In which direction is it going? Um, so currently in our study, we are viewing sleep disturbances as a risk factor for hearing loss. So it's like sleep disturbance causing hearing loss, but because the uh, complexity of the relationship and also because sleep and the hearing both are like have multiple aspects so the direction might be actually more complex than we are not investigating and might go like bi-directional also from hearing loss to 
sleep disturbance, but we haven't done much for that direction, but it's still possible. For example, hearing loss can cause like uh, social isolation and uh, depression, and that might impact your further like, sleep characteristics. Okay. And what about tinnitus? Is that part of the study in any way, since uh, there's a good correlation with tinnitus and hearing loss, and tinnitus can disturb your sleep? Um, I think we haven't done that, uh, but uh, but there might be an association, but I think that might be different for it because tinnitus is kind of not the same as audio hearing loss. Okay. Okay. No, it makes perfect sense. I mean, arguably, hearing is the most complex sensory experience we have, and therefore the relationship with a variety of different health comorbidities is going to be complex. And you both, uh, I think, have job security in trying to <laughs> parse all this out and actually look for causation in different ways. Uh, I think you're going to be at this for a long, long time, but I also think it's critical because we know there is a relationship between a number of ill health effects and hearing loss. And as we try to drive towards greater adoption of hearing care, understanding how that will improve other people, other quality of life factors with people, I think is extremely important. So given this whole body of research we've been talking about, um, and I'm going to ask this of you, Nick, because you're kind of standing by watching Kenning produce this stuff. I know you're a co-author, but she's, you said yourself she's leading a lot of this. Uh, what are the key takeaways from all this research so far in your mind? So I think I think one of the key takeaways is that it is a complex relationship. And the thing that I think we have to think about here is sleep is related to cognitive decline. Hearing is related to cognitive decline. And to Kenning's point, you know, she used uh, an epidemiologic term and then sort of explained it. We see a U-shaped curve. And what that means, as she said eloquently, you know, with sleep, for example, you see these associations where it's like hearing loss is both associated with really short sleep, potentially, and really long sleep. Now, we've only identified in really long sleep, but Kenning's also got some signals in the data that might suggest there is this, you know, non-linear not clear path. And then it gets into, as Kenny said, there's there's a synergy here that one may cause the other and the other may exacerbate the other once it's caused. Um, and we don't know the full the direction. So I think I think that takeaway is that we know there is some sort of association. We don't know the full direction of the relationship, but we also know they're both important for brain health. And if you really start to think big picture here, you know, the achieved results have come out and we're seeing that yes we have a result right it's being sort of phrased as um those who are more at risk for cognitive decline you know we see some protection right but you know the other way to think about this is the findings are complex i mean you say job security and i i agree with you we you know even in that context what are the factors that we need to understand of who's really going to benefit from hearing care to prevent cognitive decline, for example. Um, it's clear that, you know, it's not a one size fits all, you know, this is going to prevent everything. And, and right now we're only seeing it on a population level, but I think Kenning's work is starting to inspire a lot of us at the Cochlear Center. Uh, Jennifer Deal, myself, Franklin, Adam Spira is actually a sleep researcher who 
um, is very well respected, who's now involved in hearing research because of Kenning. I think her body of work is making us start thinking, uh, making us start to think about, you know, what are those sort of individual factors? Almost like you might think of it as like precision audiology in the sense of who's going to benefit for this outcome or cognitive decline. And that's just one of many outcomes we could think about here. But I, I just love the way Kenning's opening doors for us and, and helping us to realize that, you know, to date, everything's been one one exposure and one outcome and the world doesn't work that way, right? We are complex beings with so many different factors and we need to start thinking about how everything sort of interacts together to really, really paint the right picture for uh, care models going forward. I think that's really a great way of putting it. It's a, a great way to wrap this up. I'll only add that I, I really like the, you know, taking it almost from, well, not almost from, but really from an epidemiological uh, point of view, because we talk about the individual experience a lot. I mean, empirically, we know that if you don't hear well, you're not going to enjoy yourself as much in social situations, and therefore you'll tend to isolate yourself more and all this sort of thing. But to study that on population basis is going to be hugely important going forward. And looking forward to a lot of positive outcomes that come from this research in the years ahead. So as we wrap it up, I'll mention that I'll put links to this research in the show notes so that people can refer to it and read it. And I'm going to ask you, uh, Kenning, before we go, do you have any last thoughts on the research and the directions you're taking and the conclusions? Uh, I think like hearing loss, the disturbances are also prevalent among older adults, also modifiable even in late life, and also associated with adverse health outcomes and with brain pathology. So I think it's important to take other prevalent risk factors into account and uh, like have a bigger picture of how that might lead to adverse health outcomes. Okay, and you said something there that actually triggered a thought in my mind because you said even later in life, which reminded me that your sleep studies are showing an effect at midlife. And that reminded me of the um, Lancet Commission report of a few years ago, which also pointed to uh, treatment at midlife as being a mitigating factor. In other words, waiting until late in life is almost too late compared to addressing hearing loss at midlife. And that's the direction that they were pointing at. And so uh, I'll ask I'll ask you as as part of your closing, Nick, if that makes a lot of sense that you're starting to see uh, the need to address hearing loss at midlife to have the greatest positive effect. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so we don't have that kind of evidence yet. Um, I, I have I've sort of two thoughts there. Uh, one, we really don't have that kind of evidence, and you know, Achieve, for example, has actually you know it's focused on an older group, right? Um, it's definitely older. I think. I think that future work needs to be done on where the sort of optimal engagement is in terms of from the development of hearing loss or, or first noticing signs of hearing loss and when you, you know, when you intervene. Um, I think that one of the misconceptions with the Lancet Commission is they defined it as midlife, and it it has more to do with the aberration of the the age ranges in one of the studies that was included in this uh, risk ratio calculation, which was a very, very wide range study. And it, it sort of, as a mean and a median, ended up being sort of uh, 
much younger than the other two studies. And then the the commission, based off the way they were um, sort of aligning and categorizing things, they were like, oh, well, hearing loss must be a midlife. But if, if you put all three studies together, it's actually much more of a late life factor. Um, you know, we've We've actually got some uh, really, really cool new data. Not, not that I, 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 you know, not trying to be super self-promotional, but we just did um, uh, prevalence rates of hearing loss among uh, oldest old adults because we finally got hearing into the National Health Aging Trends Study, which is a nationally representative sample that oversamples adults over 90 years of age. And you know, we really, really see the prevalence of hearing loss just skyrocket when we get over the age of 70. And once we get to the age of 90, for example, everyone ubiquitously has what we would consider a clinically defined hearing loss. So it's it really is a late life thing um, as far as a population level goes. But but I love the way that you eloquently put this in. Like when, you know, when does it matter to intervene? Because maybe those signs are starting in, in maybe if you, if you consider 50s and 60s midlife, you know, what's, what's happening there. And maybe an even, I do. <laughs> <laughs> maybe an even better way to think of this is like, um, instead of midlife versus late life, how fast do we need to react? And then, and then maybe actually the, the epidemiologic way to think of this, not to, not to bore your audience, but you know, does that reaction time matter differently for if hearing loss starts when you're 60 versus if it starts when you're 70, right? Do we have a finite window that's even smaller? Right, to, to actually get hearing aids on somebody to prevent cognitive decline potentially. And and those questions are definitely not answered right now. Um, and Achieve is not the study to answer them necessarily, but there are, um, Justin Golub at Columbia is leading some really interesting work that builds off of Achieve. And those sorts of studies will turn into, um, I think, really fascinating pieces uh, over the coming years in terms of you know this, again, that, that like idea of precision audiology, if you will. Well, and, and, you know, I can't resist saying that this is going to be so important when we really talk about addressing the global pandemic of hearing loss. You think about regions of the world where hearing care is hard to get, where the national health systems are overloaded, when you can really start to pin down what the positive effects of addressing hearing loss and when, what those are, then you can really think about delivering efficient hearing care in a way that then downstream takes a lot of burden off the national health system in terms of those other comorbidities. So this is hugely important research from a global perspective. So at least for me as an audience member of one, and of course, you know, any study with an N of one is worthless, but I think for that reason, the epidemiological approach is extremely important. And so I appreciate you both spending some time with me today. Uh, Nick, how can people reach you if they have questions or want to talk further about your work? Yeah, honestly, uh, Hopkins is not bashful at all. My Our email addresses are basically public information. Um, if you'd like to learn more about our center as a whole, Kenning's work, uh, our other trainees' work, we have we honestly have some phenomenal PhD students right now doing some amazing things. Um, you can uh, Google search the Cochlear Center for Hearing and Public Health at Johns Hopkins. And you will find our website come up right at the top. Um, and, you know, we've got links to all of our studies on there. Terrific. Kenning, anything you want to add? Just find us on our website. <laughs> okay, very good. Well, thank you both for joining me today and keep up the great work. I'm really looking forward to seeing what continues to flow out of the Cochlear Center in the months and years ahead. 
And thanks for everyone for watching or listening to this week in hearing.